Welcome back to the Sabbatarianism podcast, a podcast for Sabbatarians, by Sabbatarians, for people that have read the Bible, by people that have read the Bible, however you want to look at it. Uh, this is the Sabbatarianism podcast, and I'm Justin. I host. I also have with me today my partner, Mr. Richard Davis. Hello. Hello, Justin. How are you today? I'm well. Uh, unfortunately, Neil is not going to be with us today. He he needed to rest today. He's got little something he's trying to get over so uh we're gonna have to go on without him um i've decided richard just so you know since you are my partner in this whole thing (laughs) that i'm not no longer gonna try and do the uh, episode number um neil and i are doing a few things so the episode numbers might get a little crossed up and uh I've only been doing it out of, uh, that's what everyone else does. And that's not always what you need to do, what everyone else does. Right. So I'm going to kind of go my own way. That's absolutely right. All right. So another thing, uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you kind of introduce what we're going to talk about today. Would you mind doing that for us? I'd be glad to. We had talked, I mentioned before that, uh, about going through the characteristics of the, the bride, the, lamb's bride or the bride of christ uh which we i guess we'll refer back to the what we did on the prophecy of the barren wife sure the the wife that loves god uh the israel of god is called there in the new testament because we know back from jeremiah 31 that israel or ephraim as it's called in the northern kingdom had the legal rights as the firstborn, and they were to be brought back to God first in the better covenant. That's prophesied in Jeremiah, and it's also Jeremiah 31. I think maybe also Jeremiah 3, it talks about that. Hosea, the first chapter of Hosea, which was a prophecy mainly to the northern kingdom. And now whatever that means in the future, I don't know. It's just that as far as it coming from Judah or the Jewish religion, if you've read the Bible, you'll know better than that. It doesn't. It's Christianity is not to copy the doctrines of the Pharisees or anything that comes from them. I only wrote that paper, those papers to make note of what I see that the Bible says, not to pass judgment on anybody. And none of this is to do that or to try to determine who's, who's the right ones and who's the wrong one, who are the wrong ones, because that's not what we do and not what we're supposed to do. But just to go through God's word and see what it says is in as much as that can help us know how to obey God and what to shoot for. Even Paul in his letter to the Corinthians said that it's not wise for us to commend ourselves and to judge ourselves or compare ourselves. He said he didn't know anything against himself at that moment, but that didn't mean a thing because all that judgment is to be made by God. So this is not about who's this, who's, who are these guys and who are those guys and who are we and who is somebody else. We really don't know. I don't know. It's just that it gives us a pattern to try to live by and to shoot for in our lives. Well, we're all trying to be a part of that bride. 
Yes. Right? So knowing the characteristics of the bride should be helpful to each of us. You got it. Yes, sir. And I'm going to start here, if it's okay, in Revelation 14. Okay. Not to try, maybe this is not necessarily any order, but just to go through the things that we know we're told of the characteristics. Then I looked, verse 1, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, of course, a bride takes the name of her husband. Yeah. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now that says that this, there's something very special about this group who are the Israel of God. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. We'll go ahead and read further here, but we're going to come back to that. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These are redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, probably a few sermons in that, if that's what we're trying to do. But I try not to do any sermons. I think we all need to learn to preach our own sermons to ourselves. But we're told that they were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Right. And we had read back in time other podcasts back in Jeremiah 31, which where it says that the, the virginity of Ephraim would be restored, where God had said, to Israel that he would, you know, the law says that if you divorce, you can't go marry a wife again. But when her heart has changed, he says he will remarry her. And the question is, what does it mean to not be defiled with women? To but not be defiled with women. Yeah. And we know that women, just like the woman, it back in what chapter 12 is it 12 revelation it talks about the woman the true church of god the woman the child the dragon uh the yeah, woman the very first was, part there yeah was israel and the woman was became the church of god it, throughout prophecy woman or the woman is defiled defined as a religious organization or a belief system the talks about the great false religion mystery babylon yeah mystery yeah. of babylon yeah so this is talking about not defiling yourself with other gods and their religious institutions and that was always a problem for ancient israel and it has been a problem at least since the 
fourth century for the Christian church. Ancient Israel always wanted to mix in with the nations around them. All you got to do is read through the Old Testament. If you don't see the many, many, many instances of that, you're just not reading. Yeah. Well, and even in the New Testament, Paul talked about an infiltration into the Galatian church and, and others, but specifically yes. Galatians. He he says that that you the gospel has been polluted. So what you're saying here is is this hundred and forty four thousand they have cleaved on to the original gospel, the the real gospel, and have never been allowed allowed themselves to be pulled away from it. And that's what being a virgin is. They've never been with a different that's right gospel. Yes, and that's backed up over in the book of Ezekiel. Won't turn there right now, but when it talks about. I think it's Ezekiel 44 where he talks about the the temple, the new temple on earth, where those Levites are the, calls them the priesthood of Zadok, who will serve God in that inner court, which I believe that temple is a picture of the real temple in heaven. And what defined them as being the special ones that could serve in the direct presence of God was the fact that they had not gone astray after other gods when the others had. And the ones who had would serve God in that temple as well, but only in the outer court, not in his direct presence. And so it's pretty clear that that's what it's talking about. Back in his, uh, Exodus 34, God gave a clear warning about not defiling the beliefs and the doctrines and the holy days and the Sabbath and anything else that he gave Israel with paganism. And we're also told in the New Testament by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, I believe, that you can't serve the cup of demons and the cup of God, Christ. You can't mix them together. And we know from what we have read in previous podcasts from Ezekiel 14 and Ezekiel 20, that that's exactly what the Jews began to do in in really earnest fervor while they were in the captivity and brought all that back out with them. Uh, and in Malachi, the priesthood was totally polluted with it. There, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's... The Jews were old hands at that, and Israel was first. Long before there was ever a Catholic church or any of the beliefs of modern-day Christianity that pollute their practices with paganism. And, you know, many might, if you're not the same background we are, you might get upset when we talk about Christmas and Easter and things like that. And those directly came from Paganism. Worship of paganism. Yeah. And the 4th century efforts of the Catholic Church and the pagan emperor of Rome to create a hybrid type religion that both the most Christians and the most pagans could be satisfied with and live with and be unified. And then history tells us that, you know, those on either side who wanted to maintain the perfection of their former Worship were either persecuted or killed or driven out. That would go for the pagans, the absolute pagans, and for the Christians who wanted to 
cling to the faith, true faith, that was once delivered. Well, and I would also offer, even going as far back as the uh, golden calf incident there at the foot of Mount Sinai, that was a pollution of it. They were bringing in the the worshiping type or, or the worship services of the Egyptians and calling it for God. For God, the guy that had just rescued, or the God that had just rescued them from Egypt, they they had polluted it with it, and it made him furious. Yes, because it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it's lukewarmness in a way, bipartisanship, as you would call it, fit for nothing, and saying his ways just aren't good enough. We're going to make it better. Mm-hmm. And these are re- so they're not defiled with women those false religions. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. That means whether he's in heaven or whether he's on the earth, whatever he's doing, they'll be with him. As a loving wife would be with her husband. That's right. And they're redeemed from among men being the first fruits. That's the inheritance of Joseph or Ephraim. And in their mouth was found no deceit. Okay, there's a characteristic. I mean... They were willing to stand up for what's right. No need to play games. The truth is the truth, and that's what it is. We can't determine what's true, and we can't change what's true. The only thing we can do with our mouth is state it. For they are without fault, at least in that manner, before the throne of God. Remember when Christ said, those who denied him, he would deny them. Yeah. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for him. Don't be swayed by this nonsense that comes from this world and the attacks that are made upon true Christianity. This has been going on for millennia, even within the Christian church, to compromise right and wrong. Okay. It speaks then about, uh, here in the context of Revelation 14, about the final sealing and the beginning of the trouble trouble that comes upon people who are left on the earth. And then verse 12 is what I want to concentrate on because this is going to apply to the those in the bride as well as any other who are going to be with God. Revelation fourteen twelve. Here is the patience of the saints, the sanctified ones. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. We know what those are. Mm-hmm. We don't compromise with them. We don't do away or half half keep one or the other. And they have the faith of Christ, of Jesus Christ, whose faith is solidly in him as the true God, the only one true God. There's no wavering from that, and they keep his commandments, just like he said. They keep his commandments, and they trust him. Yes. They have faith in him that he can and will deliver them. Yes. And that's the only way to salvation. Yes. And there's not any, that's not some metaphorical expression of some nonsense that's made up out of Eastern mysticism or something like that. It's just the way it is. Faith in Christ and keeping his commandments. Now let's turn to Revelation 19. Let's see if we can pick up a little bit more. I think we can. Verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. There it's defined. Fill in the blank. Yep. What are righteous acts? Keeping the commandments of God, doing what is right, doing unto others as you would have done unto yourself. Taking care of the legitimately poor, the widows, the orphans, when those, he said those are in need. When you feed the least among us, then you fed me. That's right. All, all that stuff, yeah. And I would say, uh, here's one, one time, I don't think we're going to try to wade through all those like I might try if I were doing a sermon. Yeah. I think everybody who hears this that's really concerned about that can go through the words, your red letters in the New Testament that came directly from the mouth of Christ and read that from the perspective of figuring out for yourself what true righteous acts are. Yeah, and this is supposed to be a podcast for people that have read their Bibles. So or, or who are willing to. They should understand to, that, yeah. And, who are willing and if, to. And if, if nothing else, go do that first and then come back to these podcasts. That, that would yeah. be the thing to do. Go read your Bible. That is the fine linen. That's what distinguishes them. Let's turn back real quick to Revelation 7. I believe where the first mention of this group is. Yep. This is a time that... Uh, John is foreseeing here in Revelation before they are resurrected. And he's seeing them at rest. And Revelation 1, after the 7, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and cried with a loud voice to the four angels, whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So we see that's what the winds were, wars and destruction. Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. We go back to chapter 14 there at the beginning and see what that meant. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, the 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. Now that's a spiritual Israel. We've gone through that in other podcasts. Skip down to verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Verse 13, one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from, this innumerable multitude? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made, the white and, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night, in his temple. And there again, we could go back to Ezekiel and see about the, what the arrangement of that Ezekiel temple was. 
And we can see there are those who are in that outer court and who don't serve in the direct presence because they compromise to certain things. And we're, that theme is in 1 Corinthians where Paul said he was there to lay the foundation. Others would build upon it. And some would build wood, hay, and stubble. And that would have to be burned up, go through suffering and trial. And he's not talking about just an end time event. He's talking about through our very lives. Trial would have to clean us up. You'd have to straighten us up. Yeah. And the fine linen is those that avoid that. That's what I was going to ask. I, I, we, we have fine linen here in one group, and then the others are in white robes. White robes, but they have stuff that have to be cleaned. They're dirty robes. And who they are, I don't know. Okay, like I said, this is not a podcast to label who's who, because anybody that tries that, takes too much upon themselves only god can see that if paul the apostle paul who were taught directly by jesus christ himself can say that he couldn't even determine where he fit fit and all that he was just he Hoping just to be a doorkeeper yeah and he got that expression <laughs> figuratively from ezekiel 44 okay <laughs> they would be doorkeepers but not serve as priests in that direct presence of god Whatever a doorkeeper would be symbolically be, I don't have a clue. But it just shows there's different degrees. And also, let me get back in Revelation 7. And this is very important. Actually, it's Revelation 6 and verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar that the spirits or souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants, that's one group, and their brethren, another one, who would be killed as they were, was completed is this only including people who have been physically killed that's what i was just about to ask i don't know i do know though that that is used symbolically as well christ i mean paul said i die daily daily for this service i'm willing to give up and sacrifice my life just like christ did uh i've thought about this from time to time or the those who are in the bride, only those who've absolutely come to their death because For of their faith in Christ, or are they the ones who are willing to give up their life? And there's uh-huh. a time, just like when Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Well, it didn't really kill him, but in all intents and purposes, he did. Well, and I would also offer that baptism is a form of death, correct? Yes, it is. Death of your old self. But there's something about this this 144,000 that stands out above others. Another thing that I've thought about through the years is that when Abraham actually was willing to sacrifice or kill his son because God had commanded him to, 
that God's judgment was then finished on Abraham. I mean, Abraham lived a lot longer than that. But at that time, that's where God said, because you have done this, I swear. He made an oath, an immutable oath, that all the rest of salvation hangs upon. That what he had covenanted with Abraham up to that point was now a promise, an immutable oath that could not be broken. So there was a definite judgment of finality on Abraham at that moment. Are there points and times in our life when God puts something before us that requires us to do something, to give up our life, to put total and final trust in him regardless of what happens to us? Is that considered a martyr? Could be. Could be. I don't know. God knows. Yes. So, these are things to think about, even. Anyway. Yeah. Go back to Revelation 19. Interesting that Revelation is supposed to be this apocalyptic book, <laughs> and yet to learn about the, the characteristics of the bride and the Messiah, you've been there exclusively so far. Verse nine, chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 9. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, that would be his bride, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay? So those, they come with him when he comes. This is the next event after the marriage. Now let's go back to chapter 17 of uh, Revelation, which is an inset chapter historically uh, that talks about the scarlet woman of the false church and the, the beast. And we'll go down to verse 12, because this fits right in with what we just read in 19. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. 
These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are, three things here, called, chosen, and faithful. So they have been called or pre-selected by God for that role. They have been chosen by God at some point after they were called. And they have become or managed to become faithful to the end. Those are characteristics that they have. So giving up, turning back, getting discouraged is not a choice we have. It just isn't. It's the wrong choice. That's right. You gotta be. You you gotta overcome it. You gotta stick with it to the end. If we're going to be in the bride, yep, you have to. Now, there's a lot can be said about being called, chosen, and faithful, and I guarantee out there's there's someone who knows everything is know about that. I don't. Don't profess to. But I know that last one is really important. Because if you're even hearing this, you have to be called. Your curiosity even is not even aroused unless God has turned it on. To be chosen means that you've made a commitment and to be faithful and maintain it till the end, enduring to the end is another thing. But that role is not for somebody that God or Christ does not trust or cannot trust. So it has to be a bride who loves him. A bride who can see no other way forward except to follow him. To follow him and to trust in him and believe in him regardless of what any doubts, doubters may say, what any of our human pulls may say. Or how the people of this world may mock them or treat yes. them poorly or even threaten to kill them. Or even kill them. That's right. That there is no other way. And, you know, to back this up, what we're saying here, we can turn back to Matthew 22, where it actually talks about the wedding supper. In the parable format. Yes. Verse 1 of Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables, saying, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a wet marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. And I think that's very clearly a parable talking about how he had dealt with the physical nation of Israel beforehand, with the priests and with the prophets. 
And I think the the people that he sent out here that it says he, he sent out two different groups. It sounded to me like uh, the prophets and the apostles. Yes, that's the that's right. And they wouldn't have any of it. So right. He they just, killed them and treated them spitefully. And mm-hmm. yeah. So then he opened it up, going to the highways and gathered all among who were found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled, it says here, with guests. And I've had some people take that word and say, these are people who come to to look on the wedding, guests. But that word, I believe in the Greek, means recliners, those seated at the wedding supper. They're filled with recliners. Well, the bride and the bride and groom's guests are That's there. Right. So you can say the bride and the innumerable multitude, maybe. I don't know about that innumerable multitude but the point i'm making is that word guest should is referring to those who are seated with him at the supper his bride uh in that culture in that day they set down a table low on the floor to the floor and they lay down on cushions this stuff about the passover meal that you see made centuries later with him seated at a modern day tile type Christ uh-huh. seated at the table is not from that culture. They lay down. They'd been sitting on directly on, on the ground. On the ground. On yeah. pillows or something. To, yeah. yeah, to eat. Those are the ones seated for the supper. That's referring to the bride. And when the king came in so to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And we know what that is by now, don't we? Fine linen. And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. There's those words. There it is. So, there's to be called is one thing. To be chosen is quite another. And to choose yourself, right? He he says he he knocks on your door, but you've got to answer it and allow him in uh there's there's some responsibility on our end as well that's right and you have to choose to do that because yeah if you don't you're not chosen there is no opportunity and you're put in outer darkness which means away from the light and then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth on people who do that because they missed the chance or or at that time anyway at least at that time exactly yes well that's all i have written down here and how the the bride sticks out. The most essential thing is she enters into a covenant with Christ, a covenant of the Spirit that Paul talked about, of agape love. Right. And he gives her his spirit, and they are one spirit and one mind. And they don't allow anything to interrupt that or come between it in any way. And they follow him wherever he goes, and they are not doing that out of obligation or so that they may be blessed in some way they're doing that because they love him and they know that he is the only way and they believe that with their whole heart right and they trust him yes to lead them to the right place to the to the kingdom but i i think the key there is still in in the uh what we, we're talking about right here is in the um prophecy of the barren wife paper that you wrote it's it's a loving wife she Mm -hmm. loves him with and and that's of course a metaphor for us we 
have to come to love him, to trust him, to follow him. And as in Second uh, Corinthians 1, to learn how to trust in God only. That's it. There is no other way. That's it. That's true. And love him with the same love that he loved her. Lay down her life for him the way he laid down his life for her. That's a, a true martyr. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think we've pretty well covered it here. Um, it's, it's that special agape love uh, that's described in the New Testament. We were just speaking, actually we heard a sermon this past weekend about how, and, and we discussed it really, uh, about how the churches of God used to glory in adherence to the law. Mm-hmm. And thought that that kind of made us special. Yeah. And that isn't right. And in fact, what we're talking about here is what makes a person special, not a group of people, not each person individually. It's right here. It's it's the, the loving wife. It's the agape. It's the following him wherever he goes. It's the adherence to the commandments. It's it's all the things we've talked about here today, the, the characteristics of the bride of Messiah. That is what separates a person. That is how we should be trying to elevate ourselves and what we should be trying to become. It's not about adherence to the law. Does that mean that we shouldn't adhere to the law? Certainly not. But that's that's not the meat of the word. The meat of the word is really right here with what we're talking about today. Yes, it's, it's so important that None of the things that God gave in his law is lost. No. They're not in the past. It's not done away with. Everything has its value. And we, we must consider that, that back in uh, Revelation 7, it says those who had to have their robes cleaned up, the, the innumerable multitude would be led to fountains of living water in order that, that could come about. And if we would refer back to the teaching that Christ gave, that he said, whoever believed on him out of his belly shall flow fountains of living water. That was when he was at the feast. Now, that word belly, it's, I believe, or innermost being, that's used in, I believe the Greek word can be translated womb. It's like from the belly of the bride comes living water, which will clean up or help to purify the rest of the world. And that's her purpose once Christ returns. And if you compromise and paganize Christianity, which been has been a plague on the Christian faith ever since the 4th century, probably before that, but that's where the Romans actually made it official. How can you re-educate the world? It's one thing I've said over and over, and I'll continue to do so, that discarding God's appointed times, which he tells us are shadows or memorials of things to come, not of Christ, but of things to come that are fulfilled in Christ. Now, when you discard those memorial, memorials, you are discarding truth and understanding. 
That's one of the reasons I have hope for the many people that I know who've never heard the name of Christ and have lived on this earth and died and never had a chance. Their time is not gone. My own relatives, people that I've loved that fit in that situation, I know their time is not gone because God has a plan that he revealed in that ancient harvest year of salvation for all mankind. And their time is not over. And that fills me with hope. Yeah. And I feel sorry for people who think this whole world right now is a battle of us fighting with Jesus to save everybody right now so they don't burn squabble and around in eternal fire. And this right now is the only day of salvation. The Bible doesn't say that. We're, it is revealed through God's word that there is a great plan. Now, if you don't believe that, how can you teach anybody about it? How can you give hope for anybody but beyond this physical world right now in the situation that there is? So when you stand up for what's right, just like the Phineas of old did there on the plains of Moab, then there's something that you have, something that you don't lose that helps you to be able to work with Christ and work with God so that you can be used in that way. That's, yeah. that's why it, it plainly said there, they are not defiled with false religions. They do not compromise the truth in God's word. Decide that some of it's just a bunch of old stuff. No, it's not none, none of God's word is a bunch of old stuff. Well, it's actually very old. It's it's eternal, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it is in that sense. It's eternal, but I meant stuff in the yeah, past. Yeah, yeah. Stuff in the past. We don't. That's all in the past. We don't have to fool with that anymore. When you take that frame of reference, you're losing something. You're not able to take forward to help others, and I think that's a very important part. That's why that was mentioned there in the Book of Revelation. One of the first things that he mentioned, they're not defiled with false religions. Personally, I have come to believe a good way to describe agape is the heart, your heart, which you and I talk about all the time. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. The heart of a servant. Agape is having your heart be one of a servant just like Messiah's was when he was here. His heart was on serving others and doing for others. I, I, I would suggest that that is a big characteristic of the bride, is she has the heart of a servant. I, I would agree with that. You know, that's definitely the heart of God. I mean, what did he ever need us for? Right. He didn't need us. He wanted us, and he was willing to to serve us in that way and to give by his grace of his love, of his mercy, of his creativity, to bring these worlds into existence that we're just now opening up with this new telescope we have to see what he's done. And the more we see of it, the more we can't explain. It's so far beyond us. What did he ever need with us? Our whole experience shows forth his mercy and his grace and his kindness. And I believe those who have that same heart to be able to lay down their lives for other and others and to give to others in that same selfless way or in some small way on this earth right now showing 
a shadow or a little bit of that love of Christ. The heart of a servant. Yeah. The agape love. All right. Well, uh, I think we'll wrap it up here today unless you have anything else you want to uh, offer here. I don't think so at this point. We don't need to make these an hour long each. You know, this isn't a sermon. We'll, yeah. When we're done, we're done. Yeah, for a sermon would be for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're getting shorter and shorter, it seems like. Well, uh, if we come up with something in our podcast beyond this, we can refer back to this. Yeah, sure. Add it, add it to it. Yeah. I think we've we've done a lot on this ab- about the the bride the bride because it's really important. Like I was saying earlier, this this should be the focus. Yes, not the law. No. All right. Well, we thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.